God, we thank you for this morning and bringing us here. Lord, we thank you and we stand in honor of you, Lord, in respect of your word, in respect of the message you're giving us today, Lord. And we ask you would speak to us, Lord, through your word, that you would give us a word today. God, that you would stir within us a passion for you, Lord, that you would stir inside of us a yearning for your presence, God, and that you would put inside of us, Lord, the, the unction, the effort, the motivation, Lord, to live these principles in front of us in your word, the Ten Commandments, before you every day. So bless your word. Anoint them right now in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. A Keiki Church teacher was helping her class of four and five-year-olds uh, 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 learn the Ten Commandments. And after going over the Fifth Commandment, Honor Thy Father and Mother, she asked them this question. She asked them, Is there a commandment that teaches us how to treat our brothers and sisters? Well, immediately one of the little boys shouted out, Thou shalt not kill. Well, I guess so, right? Depending on your family there. Yes, it should not be done. You should not kill your brother or sister. And it also should not even be in your heart. That's what's important. It's like what Colossians 3, 5, the Apostle Paul have written, that, that we need to put to death the works of our flesh. Put to death the fleshly, the sinful flesh inside of us. And, and praise the Lord, through Christ and his death on the cross, it is put to death that we no longer have to be slaves of unrighteousness, but now we can serve the Lord and yield ourselves to be slaves or servants of righteous, righteousness. So my thinking this morning in our title is sort of a play on these words that we got to put to death that that is in us that wants to kill each other, like the little boy said. So the title of my message this morning is Murder the Murder in Me. Murder the Murder in Me. And we're going to be studying Exodus chapter 20, verse 13. Now, only one verse, and it's, it's, it's uh, one, there's one other one, but it's one of the shortest commandments that we, we see in our Bibles. But we're going to dive deep, and we're going to go into this to understand what God really meant when he said, you shall not murder. So once again, the title is Murder the Murder in Me. And we're going to see three things here. Number one, the sanctity of human life. Number two, the sanctity of society. And number three, the sanctity of your heart. So we're going to dive deep into this one simple verse, this one commandment, and we're going to look into these three things. So first of all, we're going to find the sanctity of human life, the sanctity of human life. So once, once again, we see here, verse 13, you shall not murder. So we begin, once again, Moses writing this, God dictated this. Remember in verse 1, we, we, we studied that a while back. And so you shall not, and I'll say this again, it means you're not to do this. Like the NLT translates this, you must not. So it's a command of God that he's speaking to us. So we read here, you shall not murder. Now murder here means the deliberate an intentional act of killing another human being. 
That's the definition. That's what it's talking about. Now, the old King James, um, which I grew up on, uh, it says, thou shall not kill. It's actually a bad translation because there's many uh, Hebrew words for the word kill. But there's one Hebrew word that really talks about murder, and it's this one being used here. So here, specifically written, is about murder. Not just killing in general, but murder specifically. So the sixth commandment is against deliberately, intentionally taking the life of a fellow human being. So understand that this morning. So listen, this does not mean, uh, uh, this means that, excuse me, this means that it does not apply to the killing of animals. Some apply this command. Well, see, we shouldn't kill animals in that way. But actually later, if you're here when we studied the book of Exodus, right, we saw that God actually had the priests, right, kill, what, lambs and, and sheep, goats, auction, even uh, doves were allowed for sacrifice in the tabernacle. So it's not really talking about that. And also God had prescribed to Israel that they could kill and eat certain animals. Later, God, God gave Peter that vision of the sheet and all the animals unclean and clean everything. And God said, you can kill and eat anything. So it's not uh, about, uh, you know, not killing animals. Matter of fact, uh, some people say, well, the, yeah, you know, it, it says it in the Old Testament must be, but you know, Jesus ate fish in the New Testament too. So this means uh, really it does not apply to killing of animals, as many might say. Another thing is this does not apply to accidentally taking a life or taking a life in self-defense. Uh, we know in Deuteronomy 9 uh, is given this law that if you're chopping wood and an axe head flies off and happens to hit somebody and kills them, that you are allowed to go to the city of refuge that God has, has set up, certain cities that, that you can run to and be safe and where you, things can be worked out. Uh, and so the family, uh, uh, you're safe from the retaliation from the family. Later in Exodus 22, verse 2 and 3, it talks about that if a thief breaks in your house and, and he's struck and he dies, you're not guilty of his blood. So the understanding is self-defense or accident, uh, accidental death. It, this is not what this applies to also. Uh, one other thing, or actually two other things is this. This does not go against capital punishment. This is not speaking against capital punishment. It's not contradicting what uh, God said even before the law in Genesis 9, 6, that one who sheds the blood of another, his blood will be shed. And that was way before the law was given over here. Matter of fact, Paul, the apostle Paul, refers to capital punishment in Romans 13, that passage about submitting to the government Government, when he said, God set up government for this reason, for the sword he mentions there. Also, this does not apply to killing an enemy in times of war. And I say this because right, right after their wilderness journey, they were to, Israel was to go where? Into the promised land, to take the promised land, and God told them, destroy the Canaanites. 
destroy the, those ones as you're going into the promised land. We know that King Saul was ordered to wipe out the Amalekites, which he didn't do. Or remember their battles with the Philistines, that enemy. I thought it was interesting to find that Jesus himself told a Roman centurion not to drop out of the army, but all he, what he told him was stop bullying people, stop, stop coercing with false witnesses, and just be content with your pay. So we see in the Bible that God did give nations the right to defend itself during the times of war. So you see, this commandment is specifically for, for murder, for that deliberate, deliberate, intentional taking of a life of a human being. So that's important to understand as we get into this study here. Now, why is a human life so sacred to God? Why is that? Why, why is there that sanctity of a human life? Well, I want to give you three things. And first of all is this. The sanctity of human life comes from the fact that God is the source of life. God is the source of life. See, when God created human beings in Genesis 2-7, do you remember what he did? He breathed, right, into that uh, uh, human being that he formed from the dust, right? He formed the dust, breathed into that what he formed, the what? Breath of life. Some of you guys prayed, God, thank you for the breath of life. Yeah, God is that source of life. Then Adam came alive, right? The first human being came alive. Now, in contrast, we see in Genesis 1 that God created animals. He just created them, and there they are. They're living. But with human beings, he breathed into the first human being. He breathed into the breath of life. And he gave them that gift of life. And I believe that was just showing that human beings are special. They're different from animals. And we also find in Acts 17, 28, that God is the sustainer of life. That when Paul was talking to the Athenians, he says, In him we live and move and have our being. So God breathed life into us. He gave us that gift of life, and he sustains our life. So God really is that source of life. And so human beings are set apart from created animals, and God especially created us in a special way, being that he is that source of life. If God gave that gift of life, then think about this. Who are we to take that away from someone, right? God's that source. God gave that gift. I heard about a man driving in India, and he ended up hitting a person. The situation that he was in, the story goes, that he was, it, it just ended up this way. He had a choice to hit the man or hit this animal. I think it might have been a cow or something. He chose the man. He could have hit the cow. He could have hit the man, but he chose to hit the man. Why is that? Well, in India, Cows are considered sacred in their Hindu religion. In our modern society today, isn't that like that? Animals are being lifted up more than humans. Animals are treated like humans, and humans are treated like animals. But originally, this is not what God intended. God is the source of our life. God made human beings. God created us. 
So number one, the sanctity of human life, it comes from this fact that God is the source of our lives, of every human's life. Secondly, the sanctity of human life is because human beings are made in the image of God. Human beings are made in the image of God. In Genesis chapter 1, verse 27, it says, God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. What does that mean? Well, image in the Hebrew means like resemblance. In other words, it's talking about as a person, like a being. Like God is a person, a being, right? And so he made us as a being. And likeness is a similarity, yeah. Not saying that we we are gods or we become gods. But the idea is this, that God has given human, human beings. He created us with the moral capacity to obey God. The moral capacity to know from right, from wrong. And this also means uh, being made in the image of God. It also means that we human beings have been created with the spiritual capacity to be saved and know God. That's the idea when we see in Genesis 1.27 that we're made in the image of God. So the sanctity of human life is because we human beings are made in the image of God. God's breath brought us to life to be a living being. And you know what? I would add to be a living soul, a living soul. You see, your fellow human being has that built-in capacity to know Jesus, to be saved by Jesus, to know God and have a relationship with God. I think every one of us, it's been said, God made us uh, put a void in our hearts. And we try and fill it with so many things. But the only thing that can fill it and bring satisfaction, uh, content, and fulfillment is God. Is a relationship with God. So each human being has been made to be special to God. Made in his image with this capacity, a moral and spiritual capacity to have a relationship with God. So do you understand that? That sanctity of human life is because we've been made in his image and and we're living beings with a living soul. We're not just some animal. We're made differently. We've been breathed into. We've been given life and a life with a soul inside us. All right, so we've seen that the sanctity of human life is, is the fact God is the source. The sanctity of a human life is the fact that we have been made in the image of God. And, and the third thing is, is this, is that uh, the sanctity of human life is for the reason that every human being is unique. We're special and unique, I would add that. Every one of us is special and unique because of all this that I just said. He made us. He, uh, we're made in his image. We have a soul. And, and, and every one of us, that means we're special and unique. Understand that today. If you've come in here sort of feeling like, well, I don't know if I'm, I'm I don't know. Am I, does God really care? Does the, God really, is, is he really interested in me i would say yes because every one of us is special and unique to god i know this weekend was a coronation right of king charles the third yeah the third right i don't know if anyone any of you guys saw that i only watched the news but uh before the coronation this weekend <clears throat> there came out this this whole suite this whole set of commemorative coins for the occasion 
And all of them just sold out immediately. It was like people, collectors were just grabbing them, right? Because they're worth a lot. One of the first ones that came out was this 50 pence coin and with his face and everything. And, and it cost, if you wanted to buy a commemorative coin, it cost 25 pounds. And just so to understand, 100 pence equals one pound, maybe like 100 pennies to $1 to us. Well, and they only made 5,000 of these coins. So it was total collector's, you know, type of coin that you want. And so what, even if you bought it, one coin for 25 pounds, already they're sold out. And already, I'm sure, it's just, just worth so much more. Why? Because it was so unique. It was so special. I tried to calculate. I was thinking even a 50 pence coin, you buy it at 25 pounds, that's like 5,000% if I did my math right. I mean, imagine even more how much more worth that is. Well, you know what? That's you and I. That's, let me say this, every human being. Because God made that human being. He's the source of their life. He gave the gift of life. Because God made every human being in, in his own image. And that, that for that reason then, every human being is special. Every human being is unique. I mean, think about it, right? We all have our unique uh, fingerprint, right? No one has the same. How about today's technology? We, we all have our DNA, right? We all have our specific DNA. That's God's doing. That's God making us special and unique. And so to God, each one of us is of great value. Each one of us is of great worth. To God, every human being is special and unique. And let me say this. Understand this, that Jesus died for the world, right? And that means he died for every human being he specially died for every person because they are special and unique to him so for the sanctity of human life do you see why god says you shall not murder we don't have that right to take a, a human life to murder someone intentionally deliberately because look at the value God has put on every human being. So you understand now. Murder to murder enemy. Why that's important? Because of the sanctity of human life. We've got to put to death any inclination inside of us that may want to take that action. All right. So <clears throat> the sanctity of human life. Let's go to number two now. The sanctity of society. The sanctity of society. Now, once again, verse 13, you shall not murder. Now, the sixth commandment, God telling everybody, look, guys, don't intentionally take a life, kill anybody. Don't deliberately murder anyone. Uh, why is that important? Well, because it, it's important for society. It's important for the quality of life in society. Now, remember, God is here in Exodus 20 is giving the Ten Commandments to the children of Israel. He's up on Mount Sinai. Moses is there uh, uh, with his finger. He wrote in the tablets of stone. And so Moses is going to come down. Well, remember, at this point in the journey in the wilderness of the Israelites, it's been three months or so since they left Egypt. 
God miraculously, right, delivered them from the bondage of Egypt, Red Sea, plagues, all of that, brought them to this point in their life as a, as a, a people group now and challenged them. And they're, say, they're saying, yes, Lord, we want to follow you. We want to be people of God, the Lord God. And God said, yeah, I'm going to bring you to that promised land. And there you're going to set up and you're going to be a nation. You're not just going to be a people group, but you're going to turn into a nation, a country. So God gives them the Ten Commandments really in helping them to know what it means to follow God and what it means to be this nation. And so as we focus in on verse 13, we see that the people of the nation are holy, but not only that, the society has to be kept sacred too. But the enemy of our souls is out there, right? Satan. And he wants to come against this people because they're for God, because he comes against God. So as God is setting up this nation and this society of God, we have their Satan, right, working also so god wants to make sure particularly here in verse 13 in this commandment that murder isn't part of that society i think about how jesus said that the thief right or satan in john 10 9 comes to what steal kill and destroy and then in john 8 44 you know what he called satan he called him the original murderer and most commentators believe that it was, it was because of Satan's uh, uh, temptation and having Adam fall and brought death into the human race. And also that he was probably an influencer from that sin nature of Cain when Cain killed his brother. So Satan, had, his effort is to corrupt the society, bringing evil into society, to corrupt. Yeah, the nation. And one way is through murder. It's through murder. And we know that society breaks down, really, when the sixth commandment is broken. Right? We understand that. So I'm going to give you a few things here. First of all, the sanctity of society is corrupted by homicide. The sanctity of society, the sacredness, the holiness of the people of the society is corrupted by homicide. Like I said, Satan just didn't just instigate the death and sin into the human race, but I, I feel like he, he was there with Cain, and he influenced Cain in Genesis 4.8 when, when Cain killed his brother, Abel. And ever since then, murder has been a part of society. I was reading, sadly, in 2020, uh, our, during the COVID year, right, there was a 30% increase in homicides 30 percent in 2022 the numbers show a decline uh, and there's some articles about that but when i read it it was like oh two percent it's still really high with that some say that there is uh, uh, one person is murdered every 30 minutes isn't that sad i mean it, it's like every week now Every few days, just yesterday, I was late yesterday, uh, last night I was reading the news, I popped open the news on my phone, and I'm like, what? Uh, well, in Texas, right? Eight people were killed, seven were, were um, yeah, injured. I mean, it's like, whoa, what happened? Just the day before, I think, was another shooting. 
we're living in this time. I believe it's, it's, it's the start of the breakdown in our society. They, I read another statistic that said uh, just this year, so far, 13,900 people have died in gun violence so far. Crazy. Crazy. So you see, the sanctity of society is corrupted by homicide, and that's why verse 13 is so important. The sixth commandment is so important. So society breaks down when the sixth commandment is broken. In another way, secondly, the sanctity of society is corrupted by genocide. Genocide, the mass murdering of people. We understand that. We, we, we see that. We understand the history in World War II, Hitler, Nazi Germany, right? They decided to murder, what, six million Jews because they weren't good enough for them to live. Crazy. And if anything, we see that as an unjust government, right? An evil government. Government supposed to protect life, but not in this case. Over and over, we see the same thing, like stories in Rwanda or Cambodia, Bosnia, and even to this day, uh, very vocal as Iran that they want to wipe Israel off the map. There's still that heart to kill Jewish people. And I believe underneath of that is Satan. And we studied that back in Revelation recently. You know, be careful, you guys, because I see the enemy of the soul feeding the flesh here with prejudice. With prejudice. Just plain prejudice to get you to that point where it turns into this hatred and, and these people got to be out of here and be destroyed. That is not of God. And that is the enemy making you forget that God made every human being, no matter what race, color, no matter where they came from. Starts there, you guys. The sanctity of society is corrupted by gen- homicide, genocide. And also what breaks down society in this, as the sixth commandment is broken. The third thing is the san- sanctity of society is corrupted by euthanasia. You know what that is, right? Youth in Asia. We, um, we, uh, a couple months ago, we were watching this TV series. as a hospital kind of series. And, and we're, um, I'm not really into that, but my wife is. I don't like the cutting and the blood. I'm like, eh. But, uh, but she's like, oh, it's really interesting. But we started to get into the series and, you know, store the stories of the different doctors and people. But, but we stopped watching because in this one episode, it seemed to make the killing of this elderly patient with cancer okay. Like the nurse slipped her certain drugs. And they framed that all with, well, this is the loving thing to do. This is the merciful thing to do. But no matter how you frame it, it's still against the sixth commandment. It takes away the authority God has. He's the only one who has the authority to take a life. Because he gave the life. He's the only one. It's not in and part of our hands. Let me give you one more. We could go on and on. But one more is the sanctity of society is corrupted by abortion, you guys. Abortion. And I'm sure all of us, we understand that. You know what I read? In 2020, almost 1 million abortions were conducted in the U.S. 1 million 
babies, you guys. From, they say, from 1973 to 2020, a total of 63.6 million babies were aborted. They say today that there's one abortion every 34 seconds. There may be a, 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 a person dying by gun violence, one every 30 minutes, but this is one every 34 seconds, you guys. Praise the Lord, Roe versus Wade was overturned because you know what? Lives are being saved. Lives are being saved right now because of that. The sanctity of society is corrupted by abortion, you guys. Our mindset is, 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 is tweaked if we think that's, it's okay. You know the saying, uh, oh, the, uh, my body, my choice kind of thing. But I always say, well, how about the baby's body and his or her choice? Because the, the baby, the fetus is still a human being. We understand that. This is, this is what's in the word of God. This is what, what we understand and know from what God has shown us. Yeah, there's a debate, but we hold to what the word says. Psalm 139, 13 talks about how, how God is the one who formed the fetus, right? Once again, that gives this human life, this fetus, sanctity, a sacredness that, no, God formed the baby in the womb. Psalm 51.5, uh, David talks about that, that human life started at conception. He talked about, oh, I, I, I got this in nature right at conception. I believe life begins at conception because of Psalm 51.5. And then, you know what I think about? I think this just, just, just puts it all to rest. Whatever the argument is, Jeremiah 1, 5. You remember when uh, God came to the prophet Jeremiah when he was young still? He wasn't prophet, but God told him, look, I knew you before you were even formed in the womb. And he told Jeremiah that I already have a plan for your life. You're going to be a prophet for me. This was before he was even formed in the womb. God saw Jeremiah as a human being before he was even conceived. I think that this just wipes that out. That God in his mind and in his, his, his providence and in his predestination and his plan, he knows everybody who's going to be born. He sees them as a human being, a person already. So you see, the sanctity of society is corrupted by abortion, and it really is against the sixth commandment, you shall not murder. Now let me say this before we go on. Perhaps you did have an abortion. Perhaps you didn't understand these things. Perhaps it was before you had Christ in your life. Perhaps that, that, that you, you went through this and, and, and it was a time in your life, there was a lot of stuff going on and, and, and whatever that decision was, but you, you did abort your baby. And I, I bet you feel guilty. I've, I bet you've been feeling crushed by it. And maybe you've been carrying that for years, but let me, let me tell you, God loves you and God forgives you. That even that God, Christ, died on the cross for that sin, for breaking this commandment. And so you can be forgiven, be cleansed, 
be freed? It's okay with the Lord now. So just go to him. Go to the cross and find forgiveness. God forgives you of that. All right. So the murder, murder, the murder of me is because of the sanctity of human life. Number two, the sanctity of society. And let's go to our, 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 the last thing we're going to see. Number three, the sanctity of your heart. The sanctity of your heart. Verse 13, once again, you shall not murder. Now, this commandment isn't just the action we take. Isn't just the act of breaking this commandment. But it, this commandment is also directed to our hearts. We know murder corrupts the society. Uh, uh, it goes against human life, how God made human life and uh, sustains human life. But this action actually starts from the inside. We can say the act of murder comes from the attitude inside the heart. And we're going to see this by turning to Matthew chapter 5. Turn to Matthew chapter 5, and we're going to look at two verses, verse 21 and 22. Now, as you're turning there, Jesus, he actually quotes this commandment. He brings it up, but not in the way the Pharisees thought. Uh, he really brings it up to address their heart. So in Matthew chapter 5, verse 21, Jesus says, you have heard that it was said to those of old. And he quotes a commandment, commandment six, you shall not murder. So he's quoting what we just studied in Exodus 20 and what we just saw. And then he says, whoever murders will be liable to judgment. He goes back to Genesis 6, 9 or 9, 6 about a capital punishment. Oh, they'll be under judgment if you murder. So he says that plainly. Now he says, now, I know you guys know this, basically, he's saying. I, 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 I know that. So he's addressing the Pharisees because they're like, well, you know what? Um, we, we've never broken that commandment. It's, it's most likely it's true. I mean, most of us, we can come to commandment six and say, well, that's not for me because, you know, I've never murdered someone. I've never committed that act and you know probably generally almost all of us say yeah that's not for me and we'll go on to the next commandment but that's what the pharisees were saying that's what they were proudly in their self-righteousness were saying oh i i didn't do this so jesus addresses the pharisees who said hey i never i never broke that commandment yeah well yeah we know that we know that but then he goes on in verse 22 he addresses them by saying but i say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Now, the judgment he's speaking about is the consequence of murdering someone. And now Jesus says, look, anyone, if, I would say, if you're angry, you're guilty of murder. That's what he's saying. And you should be under that judgment too. Now, when he speaks about angry uh, uh being angry here it, it really is about that seething anger that that kind of holding a grudge kind anger that kind of anger it's that anger that causes you to just blow up yeah will rogers uh, once said people who fly into a rage always have a bad landing 
It's true. It's true. That's why anger from the flesh, it's not good for any of us. Jesus then uh, brings this on. He's talking about vicious slander and really in hatred. He goes on here in verse 22. He says, whoever insults his brother will be liable to counsel. In other words, to go before the court and be judged. And so he's saying, you know what? Even if you insult your brother, and this is in context of that anger, the word insult here is an Aramaic word that's been transliterated in, into the Greek original writing. And it's an Aramaic word, uh, and it's raka, raka. Some old translations will have that in there. And basically it means empty-headed idiot. Yeah, that, that's, what, that's what it basically means. And he's saying, you know, you slander, you say that out of anger, you're basically guilty of murder too because you know what? That anger has turned to this hatred. And you're putting down the person because you hate them. You guys, that's murder in the heart. That's murdering in the heart. Maybe you didn't make the act, but these words are coming out. First John 3.15, you know what? John wrote, everyone who hates his brother is what? A murderer. Then Jesus adds this at the end of verse 22. Whoever says you fool will be liable to the hell of fire. Now we understand in Revelation at the end that, that um, there's all, this whole list of, of sins and wickedness. And one of them is murder. That's anyone who has that is outside the gates of heaven. Well, that's what Jesus is saying, basically. That, hey, if, if, if you say, you fool. In other words, the, uh, the original word is the Jewish way of calling someone like a moron. Yeah. It, it, it's a way of them saying, you're a godless person. He's saying. It, it, it's, a, it's a way of, like, these Jews condemning someone to hell, basically. Condemning them, like, you're, you're, you're not saved. Saying things like that. All in this condemnation. And you know what I see in there is bitterness. Bitterness. This anger, this hatred, and now this bitterness comes in saying, you, you moron, you fool, you're not saved, you're going to hell. Well, Jesus says, you know what? Actually, you're guilty of murder. And you're, you're going to be judged in the hell of fire. So you see what Jesus is putting out here that as the pharisees in their self-righteousness was like well we never made that action you know we, we never did that act but jesus is saying look just that anger in your heart and where it's led you down into that hatred and bitterness you're guilty of murder murder in the heart it's to kill with a knife of hurtful and harmful words i don't know about you, but we can all relate to that, right? We've, we've held those things. We've said things we shouldn't. We've been consumed with anger, with hate, with even bitterness. That's the murder in me. That's the murder in you. That's that flesh inside, that sinful flesh inside of us. So this commandment that we've been looking at it's about the sanctity of your heart and it can be corrupted by anger hatred and 
bitterness. Be careful. Be careful that you're not always going that way, always going in that prejudice, always going with this anger, always going in this hatred, always allowing bitterness to take root, like Hebrews talks about. There's this Jewish legend that tells of a young and very self-righteous rabbi named Simon Be'eleazar. He was so proud of his holiness and, and his wisdom that when he was greeted by this humble and lowly man, he responded to him, you raka. There's that empty-headed idiot thing, yeah? How ugly you are. Are all men in your town as ugly as you? The man answered back and responded this way, that I do not know, but go and tell the maker God who created me how ugly is the creature he has made. Wow. We cannot hold that anger and hate and bitterness in our heart. That causes us to take our knives out. The knife of hurtful words. The knife of these, these, these emotions. Every human being is made in the image of God. And if we attack them, we attack God himself. That's the murder in me, you guys. What's the remedy? How can we be free from this bondage? I know we all fought that. Someone hurts us. Someone says something against us. Someone frustrates us. I know we've all held that. What's the remedy? How can we be free from this bondage? Well, of course, Jesus Christ frees us. His death and resurrection frees us from the bondage. And let me tell you, the sanctity of your heart can be healed of that murder in me by, you know what? Forgiveness. Forgiveness, you guys. Plain old forgiveness. Over in Ephesians 4, you can turn there if you want. It'll be on the screen. But Ephesians 4, verse 32, the Apostle Paul write, wrote, Be kind to one another, tender-hearted." forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Actually, in our passage in Matthew 5, Jesus went on to say, hey, before you come to the altar, you've got to forgive that person you, you have something with. And here Paul is saying, look, God has forgiven us, and so now we can forgive others. Paul wrote also, right, in, um, uh, or I should say Jesus said also, love your enemies. The Apostle Paul also said in, in Romans 12 to not repay evil with evil, but repay evil with good and to overcome evil with good. Right? Then the Romans 12. The forgiveness Jesus has given you, the love Jesus has given you, the grace God has shown you, as Christ has gave to us, let us give what has been given to us. That's it. You guys, that's the sanctity of your heart. That's how we cannot break the sixth commandment in our heart. That we can stop breaking that sixth commandment. We need to humble ourselves. We need to lay down our pride. 
we need to see that that emotion, those thoughts that, that start spinning you, it's not right. We need to take captive, Second Corinthians 10, those thoughts. And some of that has been a stronghold in your life. We need to obey Christ in these things. Listen, we know God, right, from the Bible, that God is a God of restoration. He's restored our lives. We know God wants to forgive us and restore us to him. Well, that's the same thing. We know that's the way God operates. We need to be that. We need to become his instruments and tools of righteousness, of holiness, of, of, of love and grace. We need to become his tools that he can use us to pass on that forgiveness and pass on that grace and pass on that love. That, that's what it's about, this new life. On this side of the cross, this commandment, that's what, that's what it's about for us. Think about how Moses was a murderer, right? He killed that Egyptian and buried him. He thought no one saw. But look, later, God used him, right, as a leader. And he wrote the Ten Commandments. Think about David. He was a murderer, right? Bathsheba's husband, he, he manipulated things so he would be killed in battle. He did that. Yet David has written some of the greatest psalms that touched my heart. God used him as a tool. How about the Apostle Paul? We were just studying this, if you're here Wednesday night. We just studied that Paul was the persecutor. He led persecution. He led in, in, in grabbing Christians and beating them and torturing them and, and making them blaspheme Jesus and, and even partook in their death. Yet, who wrote most of the New Testament? The Apostle Paul. So you see, he can take any of us, forgive us, cleanse us, restore us, renew us, and then use us. And I believe as we close up here that God has been speaking to us in that very way. As God has given us grace, as God gives us forgiveness, so you and I, we, we must and we can. And we can become tools of God instruments, servants of him, not tools of the enemy of our soul, not, not, not go around bringing destruction like the devil does, but bring healing, love, and you know what the most important thing? Salvation. Salvation in this other human being that is headed toward hell, and they need Jesus. And we forget that so many times. We forget that non-Christian at work who's doing this thing. We get so mad. God, do this, do that. But, but he, he's lost in his sin. She's, she's in bondage. Maybe that's why. We need to bring Jesus. I'll close with this. At age um, 10, 10 years old, Chris Carrier was abducted. The kidnap, kidnapped kidnapper held an angry grudge against the boy's father for firing him so he took it out on the boy so he, the the kidnapper stabbed him repeatedly with an ice pick shot him in the head and left him for dead in the florida everglades 
Miraculously, the boy survived this attempt to kill him. 22 years later, the attacker, uh, an ex-convict for, uh, convict for o- other crimes, 77-year-old David McAllister confessed of what he did to Carrier, Chris Carrier. Now, this was two years after the statute of limitations had ran out. Being bedridden, blind, and in a nursing home, McAllister was visited by Chris Carrier, the boy who is now a man. And Carrier, he's blind in one, one eye from the ordeal. Well, he ended up regularly visiting him and spending time with his kidnapper. Carrier, the story is, he had given his life to Jesus Christ at age 13. And now he's a youth pastor. And when, when news came that McAllister had confessed, he went to face his kid, kidnapper because he had already forgiven him. It says that Carrier knew deep inside that God calls believers to have what 2 Corinthians 5 calls the ministry of reconciliation. So Carrier offered his forgiveness and accepted McAllister's apology. And you know what he told him? This is amazing to me. Carrier told McAllister, I want to be your friend, and I want that friendship to be eternal. As a result of the visits and reading the Bible to him, McAllister gave his life to Jesus Christ before he passed away. Chris Carrier writes this, While many people cannot understand how I can forgive this man of what he did to me, from my point of view, I could not help but do what I did. Had I chosen to live in hate all these years or spend my life, spent my life in revenge looking for him, I would not be the man of God I am today, the man I am to my wife, my children, and the man of God, uh, and the man God has allowed me to be. Wow. Good words. Think of all the opportunity he could have had to justly, right? Yeah, the right to hate this guy, to be angry at this guy for what this guy did to him. But he chose to obey God. He chose to obey his commandment, to put to death that part of him that wanted to retaliate in that way. Well, you and I, we desperately need to do the same, not assassinate others. But you know what? Take out that sinful flesh inside of us. We need to murder the murder in me. Let's pray. Lord, as we close up here and as we move on toward our uh, time of communion, God, Lord, we bow before you because none of us are, are, are immune to what you, you, we just talked about. You have seen it in our own hearts and lives. And perhaps someone has walked in here with these same tendencies inside them, the anger, the frustration, the hurt, the the wanting to revenge and retaliate. But Lord, you're faithful to speak to us. You're faithful to show us the way. You're faithful to help us to understand who we are now. And that's not us anymore. We are to put to death the flesh and we we are to live out this new creation you put within us. 
And Lord, we are to understand your love for us, that you died on a cross so we can be forgiven, God, of even the murder that is inside our hearts, Lord. And thank you for that, God. So as we come to you in communion, we want to confess our sins, and we want to, Lord, we, we, we want to be right with you and be made right with you. We don't want to hide anything or hold anything back, but God, I know you want to do that work right now. So help us, Lord, as we understand what the sixth commandment means. Help us to treat each other as, treat each human being as someone God made and form. To give every person value no matter what. And to love, give grace, to forgive no matter what they may do or say. Help us now, in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to be uh, partaking in communion now, and the guys will be passing out the elements. As soon as you get your elements, uh, I, we're going to start with the bread. I'm going to lead you in that, and then on the other side is the cup. Um, uh, uh, Pastor Stephen's going to lead you in partaking. So we're going to do the elements one, one at a time, and we're going to be worshiping the Lord too. And so as soon as you get your elements, and if you want, you can peel back the seal for the bread and get that ready. I wouldn't do the cup yet. But uh, uh, we're going to be worshiping, and uh, the worship team's going to lead us in worship. And I pray you go to the Lord. Don't let this be just a ritual we do, or maybe you grew up at, at some ritual you do. But you know what? This is a spiritual moment. It's a holy moment that we come before God. Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me. In what way? And that he died on the cross for our sin, that he shed his blood for our sins so that we can be forgiven, that we can come to him as we confess our sins, as we repent before him. His blood will wash us clean. His sacrifice, his atonement for our sins will make us right with him. And I want to say, maybe, maybe you walked in here with condemnation, a heavy guilt on your shoulders and this burden. Well, you know what? As we come in remembrance of Christ to this time of communion, we come to the cross. Know God loves you and has forgiven you. If you just confess, First John 1, 9. Romans 1 says, Therefore there is no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. The condemnation is, is either your own self-condemnation or the devil pushing down on you. But it's not God. When you come to Jesus with a sincere heart, with a repentant heart, and you just, just say, God, I'm so sorry, He will forgive you. Perhaps you walked in here and, and you're in bondage to some sin. And you want to be freed. Well, you know what? Christ died on the cross and rose again from the dead so he can free us from that bondage. So we are no longer bound and changed to our sinful flesh, but today we can make a choice in Jesus and say, no, that's the truth of the gospel. Perhaps I pray as you partake in communion that God will free you supernaturally, touch your heart and your life. As you make the choice, say no to sin and yes to Jesus. And perhaps you've walked in here just hurting and, and you just you need God to heal you. You know, Isaiah says, by his stripes we are healed. 
He can heal us spiritually. He can heal us physically if it's in his will. He can heal our emotions and our hurt heart. And this is the perfect time to go and find that healing as we come to Jesus, as we come to the cross, as we remember what he did. So keep those things in mind as we worship the Lord. Let's worship him right now.